For those of your listeners who aren't familiar with cystic fibrosis, it's a rare genetic condition and it manifests in thick, sticky mucus, sort of clogging up a bunch of different organs, most notably in my lungs, right? So that thick, sticky mucus basically becomes a paste inside my airways and it traps basically bacterial infections or some sort of irritant and those infections over time sort of lead to a cascade of issues inside the respiratory system, which ultimately leads to respiratory failure and all the wonderful things that come with that. One of the weird things about CF is that 98 to 99% of men are born without a vest deferent and that leads to infertility later in life. This is the Man Up Podcast, the doctor's guide to men's health. Each week on our podcast, we interview the top specialists in the field on various topics in men's health. You have questions that you are too afraid to ask. We have the answers. This week, our episode is titled Perspectives, Talking Cystic Fibrosis and Male Fertility with Gunnar Sison. I'm Dr. Kevin Chu, and I'm joined as always with my beautiful co-host, Dr. Justin Dubin. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. Kevin, you're the beautiful one today. You got this fresh haircut. Looking yeah, that's clean. it, man. It's, you know, for, for the month of August, you know, ending summer on a strong note. So, you know, got, got Dude, my it is just out, you know. too hot. It is just too <laughs> hot here in Miami. It has been brutal, man. I, it's just, you're sweating if you just look outside. It's crazy. Um, Wait, so give me, give me perspective. Cause you know, we, we lived there together when, you know, for five years was, has it been ever like this hot or no? I will say that in the past, it's never really bothered me. Like I would just go out and do whatever. But for the last like three weeks, it's just another level. Like I've been trying to walk outside and get like fresh air. I've been doing a lot of outdoor activities. I take two steps outside. I feel like I'm going to die. Like it's been another level. I think, you know, if you don't believe in global warming, man, I don't know what to tell you because it is just crazy hot it's been really really rough and honestly dangerous like i I think it's like just dangerously hot like old people we can't be outside doing anything i can barely be outside yeah you know because i I, yeah because i think back on all those years that when i lived in miami and now there'll be occasional days where it's like sweltering but like never to the point like we would still all go like during the day we'd be like hey let's go for a walk go for a walk or go go hang out on the beach but never to the point that you're kind of explaining where it's like you know so fucking hot that you're like i can't i can't be out here i feel no like, you're right and, and this is the first time this is the first time i've really felt that and you know it is what it is but man it's it's crazy like you know even going out on my balcony i can't even stay on my balcony that long i just start like just sweating it's like a sauna but i'm telling it you is man what it no, is, it's, um, it's hey, global warming right dude in la it's it, it rained yesterday and it was like 60s weird stuff's going on man weird stuff dude that's on. weird that's weird weird stuff um anyway so back to the topic i'm really yeah. really excited for this guest this was an awesome interview um and i think the topic is really really important because you know we, we've had someone on with another fertility issue uh with klein filters um which you know is one way that you can have a genetic disorder for for infertility, right. and this is another one. We're talking about cystic fibrosis, and and a lot of people for the longest time we didn't really think that we didn't worry about fertility for for men who had cystic fibrosis. 
Yeah, you're absolutely correct, Justin. You know, first off, I, I, this was awesome. It's been a while since we've done a perspectives episode. Uh, so it was nice yeah. to kind of bring that back into the fold. You know, really, you know, at the end of the day, you know, what Justin and I do, it's really about trying to improve, you know, what we do in the podcast, what we do personally as doctors is try to improve people's lives. And so it, it's always nice to kind of just hear from a, on a very more personal aspect of that. Now, you know, cystic fibrosis, you know, for, you know, we lungs, lungs are always like the big issues, you know, when you're when you're young. And so that, that's the kind of main thing that we focused on. And as you'll learn in this episode is that male fertility, as, as you know, technology, medical technology got better. And, you know, a lot of these patients are very fortunate to live much longer. You know, fertility um, was one of the areas where it got impacted. And so, you know, in this episode, you'll learn about basically how cystic fibrosis, how it can cause infertility, as well as how remarkably what IVF and a lot of these artificial reproductive technologies have been able to give these patients kind of a life that they never imagined they would. It's pretty awesome. It's it's really amazing. And, you know, cystic fibrosis is actually more common than you'd think. It occurs in about one in 2,500 to 3,500 white uh, newborns. And so, you know, approximately one in 30 uh, Americans is a carrier and it's a recessive trait. It really means that both parents have to be carriers for their offspring to have it. And, uh, you know, as we're talking about it, you'll hear uh, Gunner talk about, you know, this uh, mutation CFTR gene is usually it's a defective defect in that. And usually what this protein is located in every organ of the body that makes mucus. So, you know, including the lungs, as Kevin noted, the liver, the pancreas, the intestines and the sweat glands. And so, you know, when the CFTR protein doesn't work correctly, you get this thick, sticky mucus that causes blockage right. and can trap germs leading to infections. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and importantly, when we look at it from the fertility aspect, you know, so many guys come and see us to get vasectomies done, right? Vasectomies, which is basically right. we're trying to block and obstruct the vast. Well, in, in, in uh, a portion of, uh, you know, cystic fibrosis patients, they're born without the vas. So they essentially have, you know, a, a vasectomy that's done at birth. And so they can't, you know, they, they can't right. get that sperm out, uh, you know, just to kind of rehash, you know, the vas deferens are two tubes that are on each side of the testis and run out and basically deliver the sperm. Um, and in cystic fibrosis patients, they, it basically it's not there. That highway is not there. Um, and so the your sperm's being made, but it just, it just can't get out the testis. Yeah. So those are the things that we're going to highlight with Gunner, um, Esiason. and just a little bit about Gunner. Um, you know, he's a renowned advocate for cystic fibrosis awareness and research. He's also the, uh, son of Boomer Esiason, um, a former NFL quarterback who's a well-known advocate for the CF community. And, you know, it's very cool for me because uh, growing up in New Jersey and New York, I listened to Boomer and Carton in the morning uh, growing up. It's no longer Carton's no longer on the show, but Boomer's still doing his show. Um, and so I've listened to this. I've listened to Gunner grow up. I've listened to, you know, Boomer endorsed the Esiason Foundation and and, you know, it's been a really cool experience to actually kind of grow up listening to his father and then hear about Gunner's story through his father and then actually talk with him today. And I think a lot of people in the tri-state area are very familiar with 
you know, obviously everyone's pretty fam familiar with Boomer, who does also, you know, NFL uh, analysis. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of people in the tri-state area where I'm from are also familiar with the foundation. Um, and so, uh, you know, Garner has really developed a patient engagement platform professionally for medical nutrition companies, built a venture philanthropy practice at the Boomer Siasin Foundation and was the head coach of his high school alma mater's varsity hockey team. He's consulted on clinical trial development, a real world population, real world evidence population health study and a cystic fibrosis specific mental health and wellness screening tool. And he's really been the face of funding fundraising efforts for the Boomer Esiason Foundation, which has really yielded more than $160 million for the fight against cystic fibrosis since he was diagnosed with the condition in 1993. And, you know, his blog has really amassed nearly 1 million page views since 2015. So if you want to talk about the face of cystic fibrosis, really, and the, the ultimate foundation for cystic fibrosis. You can't go any do any better than talking to Gunner about this, his experiences, and go and, and donating to the Boomer Esiason Foundation, which we are, you know, we're going to be their their uh, Instagram will be uh, collaborating with us on when the podcast comes out on Monday. So you know. I'll definitely, definitely be uh, donating to, to that foundation and supporting the cause. But it was just an awesome experience and really want to thank Gunnar for coming on and really destigmatizing these conversations. Yeah, it was a, it was a fantastic chat. It was fun. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about his upbringing and, and, you know, things he went through. So uh, I think our listeners are in for a treat. So let's, let's jump right into it. As men's health specialists, we know guys are shaving their balls. Yeah, we examine a lot of you, so we literally see it, but we also have the data showing it, too. That's right. According to research, over 85% of men trim their pubes. Not only that, but research shows that over 70% of women prefer a partner with at least partially trimmed pubic hair. So, guys... We know you're trimming the edges, and we know that most women prefer you manscape. So if you're going to shave your balls, why not use the best men's grooming kit around? We're talking about Manscaped. With the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, you get the Lawnmower 4.0 with their all-new skin-safe electric trimmer that protects your balls from getting those cuts we've all had in the past. You also get the Weed Whacker 2.0 for trimming your nose and ear hairs. And let me tell you guys, we all need to do a better job of this. Yep, that's right. Kevin and I both have the performance package and we really love it. Manscaping has never been easier for us. So, and for our listeners, we have a special promotion. Go to manscaped.com and enter promo code MANUP and get 20% off your first purchase. Go get your Manscaped products today. Your balls and your partner will thank you. So um, I think let's just start off with cystic fibrosis in general. Mm -hmm. um, at, at what point, you know, obviously you weren't alive, but mm. at what point when, when your parents found out, you, did your parents find out you had CF and then, or, and, and what changes did they make at that time to really accommodate you? You know, cause I think it's important for both parents who, who have children with CF or, or may have children who are at risk for potentially having CF. Um, as well as like, you know, kids growing up with CF on, to understand these kinds of things. Yeah, you know, I, uh, interestingly, my, my parents were actually involved in uh, CF you know, fundraising awareness campaigns well before I was born, in fact, um, which is kind of a little bit of an irony. Uh, when my dad was the NFL MVP in 1989, um, you know, he was sort of like America's guest that summer at, you know, this fundraiser, that fundraiser, this gala, that gala. 
And that one in particular, uh, sports writer by the name of Frank DeFord, who you probably have heard of or probably mm-hmm. now, um, was the keynote speaker. And he talked about his his daughter, Alex, who sadly passed away from, from cystic fibrosis in the 70s. And you know, back then, uh, you know, the prognosis for people with CF was basically, there basically wasn't a, there wasn't one. Right. Um, right. And it was a really heartfelt story. And um, in honor of her legacy, Frank, you know, kind of was banging the drum for, for the CF community for a long time. And my dad, my mom happened to be at that, that fundraiser. And they went up to him after his talk and said, you know, how can we get involved in, in CF fundraising and, uh, and awareness? And uh, said, you know, when you go back to Cincinnati, my dad was with the Bengals at the time. And right. just, you know, you can host celebrity lunches, celebrity dinners, visit kids in the hospital, that kind of thing. So uh, my parents were, <clears throat> were very much involved in the CF community uh, before I was born. And then finally, uh, I was diagnosed when I was two years old in 1993. Um, and uh, my parents... Uh, you know, un- had the unfortunate reality of sort of knowing a little bit about CF. Um, and my, my dad always says that his first call was to his dad, my grandfather, and then his second call was to Frank DeFord, um, who said, you know, we, ha- we have an opportunity here to, to really put a, a face on, on cystic fibrosis. And by the time that I was born, there were, there were a handful of treatments that people with CF could take. Uh, the prognosis is still not great. You know, p- patients were at the time expected to live maybe into their 20s or early 30s. Um, and, uh, you know, I, to my parents' credit, they, they really try to give me as typical of a childhood as, as possible, right? Like they, they put me in sports, they put me in school, you know, I had friends, I, I had did activities, stuff like that. Um, but the one thing that I think my parents always hung on to was that, uh, they recognized pretty early on that the, the care routine for CF is, is very active and arduous. I mean, it's, it's pretty time consuming. There's a lot of nebulizers, mm-hmm. um, at least it, it wasn't early nineties. It was that way. And, uh, they made sure that I was never doing it alone, right? I was always in the room with my parents doing my treatments and it, it became a social time um, so that I wouldn't, you know, resent it at some point later in my life. You know, kids will, will, will resist uh, yes, all, the, all the, uh, <laughs> all the best parts of medicine. So uh, I think they were, they were very uh, aware that they didn't want that to happen to me and they, they made my, my treatments and medications uh, a social time. And they also were very aware and still are today but they didn't give me a choice uh, when it came to putting a face on, on cystic fibrosis. And uh, I think they're, you know, they felt like they had a responsibility with the platform they had. And uh, so the rest is uh, sort of history. Yeah, it's great. I, I love that. You know, I love that how your, your, you know, your parents try to give you like a typical, like, you know, childhood and upbringing as well as like all the, all the support that they, they had to give you. Now for some of our listeners who may not understand what are, what are some, what were like the earliest challenges to your health <laughs> that you remember having to deal with? Yeah, you know, so for those of your listeners who aren't familiar with cystic fibrosis, uh, it's a rare genetic condition, um, and it manifests in uh, thick, sticky mucus, sort of clogging up a bunch of different organs, Right. Uh, most notably in my lungs, right? So that thick, sticky mucus basically becomes a paste inside my airways, and it traps um, uh, basically bacterial infections or, or, or some sort of uh, irritant, and those infections over time uh, sort of lead to a cascade of issues uh, in, inside right. the respiratory system, which mm-hmm. ultimately leads to respiratory failure and um, all the, the wonderful things that come with that. Uh, it, that, that thick, sticky mucus, though, also shows up uh, in your, my pancreas and my liver. And then mm-hmm. one of the, the weird things about CF, which we'll get into a little bit later, is that 98 to 99% of men are born without a vest deference. Right. Um, and that uh, leads to infertility later in life. So sort of like hitting the genetic lottery, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, and for me, it really wasn't, um, 
it never really occurred to me that I was different than my friends until I was about in first grade. It's pretty uh, amazing. And, though. and, um, and I mean, it, you know, just, I think it was, you know, I was doing treatments routinely and that just kind of what it was. And when I say treatments, it was, you know, this net, like a handful of nebulizers in the morning and a handful of nebulizers before I go to bed. Um, but um, as most people with CF uh, experience, um, when the, when the infection does take hold in our lungs, it, it can flare our symptoms pretty significantly. Um, and we call, we call that a pulmonary exacerbation, which ultimately needs to be treated with high dose uh, intravenous antibiotics. And uh, the first time that I ever needed an IV or intravenous antibiotics was when I was in uh, first grade. Um, wow. And I, at the time I was getting my care at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. My dad was in the last year of his playing career. He had gone mm -hmm. back to the Bengals after um, playing in New York for a few years, Arizona for a year, and then back to Cincinnati. So <laughs> early one morning they came into my bedroom, they woke me up, my mom and my dad did. And I could tell right away that there was something different about this morning. They were both super tense, uh, but they weren't going to let on why. And they just said, you know, gonna, we have to go to, we have to, go to, to the doctor. And, um, and I said, okay, sure, that, that's fine. You know, just normal morning, I suppose. But on the car ride there, I could tell my parents were super, super tense until finally about halfway from our home to Cincinnati Children's Hospital, my dad, who was driving the car, looked, you know, turned around and looked at me and said, Gunnar, this isn't going to hurt. And he just offered that up. Damn. And as soon Damn. as... As soon as he said that, I quickly realized that we were walking into something very different. Yeah. I mean, although I was in first grade, yeah. you know, that's one of the things you never want to say to your kids. I <laughs> no, no. And uh, for the rest of the car ride, he continued to insist, Gunner, this isn't going to hurt. Gunner, this isn't going to hurt. Gunner, this isn't going to hurt. And now Jeez. I'm also nervous. And yeah. And then finally, <laughs> so finally we get to Cincinnati Children's Hospital after, you know, 15 minutes of him regurgitating that, that saying over and over and over again. <laughs> and instead of going to the cystic fibrosis specialty clinic, we went to interventional radiology where I was about to get my first ever pick line. So a pick line and, oh, um, you know, basically, uh, a, you know, a semi-permanent or long-term IV that would ultimately feed the antibiotics into me. Yep. And, uh, it's done under, uh, it's done in, uh, a radiology suite. And, uh, for the sake of not getting too nuanced or technical, it's basically done under an x-ray and, yep. uh, mm -hmm. and, and it's done in, in basically a, like a mini surgical suite, I suppose, is what yep. I would describe it as. And uh, so we, we get there, they, they, they strip me down, they put me into a hospital gown, and now I'm super tense, right? Like something yeah. is very <laughs> different about this. Uh, yeah. And we're, we're, sitting in a, we're sitting on a gurney, the, uh, my mom, my dad, and I are sitting on a gurney, I'm on my dad's lap, and uh, I guess what is a pre-op or a waiting room, I, I suppose. And, uh, and, and the anesthesiologist walks in and she says, we can see the gun was pretty tense or starting to get a little anxious. We're going to give him something to take the edge off. We're going to give him some liquid Versed. And Versed, of course, is uh, like a wonderful medicine. It's, it's like and, a Xanax. Yeah, it's like a yeah, Xanax. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a wonderful medicine. And uh, But I was in first grade, and there was no way in hell that I was going to be drinking any liquid medication at any point. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So for the next hour, I uh, violently protested. Uh, I, you know, I was not going to be touching i mean and we're talking about a shot glass of yeah source of medicine yeah. here right and uh, uh i would i would not let that enter my body in any way whatsoever so they, they had a rotating carousel of doctors and nurses and people coming in the room <laughs> to try and convince me with logic to take this medicine which i would not do uh, and after about an hour of backing up the uh you know the cases for the day the anesthesiologist finally walked back in and she was like you know gunner's gonna have to take this medicine otherwise we're gonna have to put him out because this is really going to hurt him. And the moment she said that to me, I was like, wait a second, my dad's been telling me all day, this is it's not gonna hurt. 
So I jumped off the gurney. I looked at my dad square in the eye and I said, you lied to me. And I ran away. <laughs> I, ran, <laughs> I ran out the door through the lobby and then into like the main atrium of Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And back in the room, my mom is sitting there and my dad is like, like, what the heck just happened? And my mom is finally like, Boomer, you have to go get Gunner. So there goes the starting quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals running through the atrium of Cincinnati Children's Hospital. <laughs> amazing, amazing. After his screaming, his screaming son. And like, of course, everyone at that time remembers the Sports Illustrated cover. It's like, you know, father of the year kind of thing. But yeah. in reality, behind the curtain, you know, <laughs> I'm running away from it. So finally, I get myself into a, uh, basically like a, a dead end, I suppose. And there's a handicap railing. So I grab onto the handicap railing. And my dad to this day says that I had like the Vulcan death grip on that handicap railing. Like I just would not let go. And I'm crying, I'm screaming, the whole thing. It looks terrible. And my dad is like, Gunner, you have to, you have to go back in there. Like we, this, this, this has to end. We, we can't do this. This is, you know, you're making a scene. Everyone, this is not good. And finally he utters like the, uh, the famous words, I will do whatever you want if you go back into that room. Yes, that's going to do it. So in that moment, I became a businessman and I said, I'll go back in there if you get me a, a Nintendo 64. That's, those are my terms. I will <laughs> go back in there oh, yeah. in exchange for Nintendo. And he said, sure, that's fine. Like, those are the deal. Like, you, we will leave straight from uh, the hospital. We'll go to the Toys R Us and we'll get a, a Nintendo and we'll, we'll call it all. <laughs> Amazing. Day. And I said, sure, that's, that's fine. Awesome. That's it. And, uh, I let go of the railing. We walked in and I cried and screamed for the entire procedure, but they, they put the thick line in, they started the antibiotics. And uh, before you know it, I was the most popular first year in class with, uh, with a, new, a new Nintendo. But I also realized in that moment that I was very different than my classmates, right? Like I knew that my classmates were not dealing with uh, these issues. You know, like yeah, yeah. morning in, in, in a hospital setting. Um, and unfortunately it also sort of uh, colored the lens with how I, interacted with my providers really for the rest of my childhood and early adult life. I think it's so interesting. Um, one thing I, I was talking with a friend the other day whose, whose child has not cystic fibrosis, but had another congenital disorder that they were born with and they were in and out of the hospital growing up. And I, I, I feel, you know, as doctors, we often, you know, see patients and especially cause we don't really deal with the peds end, but and you kind of talk about this in your blog about like college and everything, you know, there is, it seems like for a lot of people, there's this aspect of control that you can kind of lose when you're going inside the hospital with your health. Like, how did you feel about that? Was there a period kind of like where you're like, I kind of don't want to deal with this stuff and I just want to be like, I don't want to have to, you know, take the medicines because I just want to just be one of the other guys. And, Unfortunately, obviously, we know, you know, now, like, you know, that was just, you know, you need to do what you need to do. But have you struggled with that aspect in the past? No. So I, I think um, I resisted in other ways, right? Like I, I never right. actually resisted doing my treatments, um, right. which is, I mean, some people do and some people don't. Um, right. right. You know, for me, it was really, uh, I saw my, you know, the classic CF, you know, care, like the nebulizers in the morning and then the nebulizers again in the evening. I sort of saw them as the gateway to the rest of the day, right? I could go to school, I could play sports, I could see my friends if I did my treatments in the morning, and then I could go to sleep if I did it in the evening. The way that I resisted, right, was whenever we went to the doctor. So, at, you know, ever since that pivotal moment when I had that IV place in, in first grade, like it was just such a traumatic moment that whenever we went to get a flu shot or a blood test or 
you know, even a blood pressure reading, you know, I resisted the entire way. Right. right. And of course, in hindsight, looking back, I mean, it's a colossal waste of time but I was, <laughs> because I would always end up going through with it. Um, but in the moment, there was never like, an, there was never, <clears throat> there was never really any reason or logic that someone could, you know, convince me of uh, when it was time to go see the doctor. And, you know, I don't know if I have the, the solution for what that is, or if there even is a solution, but, right. um, and, you know, I think nowadays, uh, you know, most of, you know, most of the providers in the CF world would, would have easily recognized that I was in some sort of mental distress. Um, and that would have been uh, the solution. But again, this was the nineties, early nineties. So it was a very different time. Very different world. Um, and I think it, in you know, those days it was just kind of rub some dirt in it and we'll, we'll get through this uh, after, you know, after you get your flu shot. But, um, yeah, I think for me that the way that I really resisted my care was, was through, you know, individual medical, medical encounters. Yeah. You know, that's, that's interesting. Cause I'm, I'm thinking back to the time when, you know, in the nineties, when I went to go see the doctor and, uh, yeah, I felt like it was very different. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it felt different, but I was scared to go to the doctor when I was going. <laughs> I was like, Oh man, it's going to be a shot. You know, you know, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I remember my parents would have dragged me in and I was only getting like, you know, just, just you know, typical care flu yeah. shots or, you know, nothing like you were going through. So, um, so quick question, John, just something that you touched upon. So sports, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll kind of go into how cystic fibrosis can have kind of a variable kind of presentation, you know, and not every single patient with cystic fibrosis will have kind of similar um, symptoms that they're going through. But in, in terms of sports, were you kind of like, I know you said you played in it. Were you kind of restricted in any sort of way or, you know, or, you know, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, it, it's funny in, in, in the nineties, right? Like my parents were just very diligent in, uh, you know, allowing me to, to do whatever I wanted to do. Of course, like my parents nudged me to their things that they liked. Right. Yeah. Which is what I think whatever my parent does to some extent. Um, so, you know, when I was really young, I had a hockey stick in my hand and I learned how to skate and, you know, that was the dawn of my hockey career. You know, I was right. playing baseball, played lacrosse, was a varsity athlete in high school. You know, so I, uh, I was definitely in it uh, growing up. And we've come to, of course, learn in retrospect that turns out activity is very beneficial for people with CF, right? So exercise, Makes sense. physical fitness um, is, is super mm -hmm. beneficial. So in some ways, we, I guess like, we were just lucky that we were ahead of the curve in, in that way. Yeah, but so you didn't... Me, my, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 I was, go ahead. no, I was going to say... Uh, you know, I mean, that's pretty amazing. And I, I just wanted to highlight that before, you know, you go on and continue. Like, I think it's such an important point with activity and sports because it's this idea, like, should I be doing something because I have something that could maybe predispose me to something else? And it's like, no, you got to put yourself out there and actually like being active. There's kind of no excuse, like be active. It's going to help you at the end of the day, like activity, exercise, you know, being, you know, physical activity is, it's so important for, for everyone. And I just wanted to highlight that. It's a great point. That yeah, you up. You're right. I mean, I, I also think there were, I mean, my parents were definitely having nuanced conversations like without me, you know, at that time, right. right. Like, everything was a micro decision, um, you know, especially during like cold and flu season, which could exacerbate my CF symptoms. I mean, so, you know, while I was, uh, so while I, while I played football in high school, you know, I was taking, I was bringing all of my, you know, my gear home every day instead of leaving the locker so that it could be aired out like my practice mm -hmm. jersey could my mom could throw in the wash or like i had it you know three different mouthpieces so that we could wash them out and stuff like that so i mean there were definitely things that we were doing um to to sort of mitigate any every, every any risk of course you can't mitigate every risk 
Um, right. And in fact, I, you know, I would get sick occasionally. So when I was a uh, a junior in high school, uh, towards the end of the season, I started getting more playing time, looking forward to senior year, right? Like, um, as most kids do when you know, the season goes one way or another. Uh, and it was, it was awesome, right? Like I remember looking forward to my senior year of high school football. Uh, I was a quarterback. I, you know, was I, I felt as though I was following my dad's footsteps and everything. And of course, around cool. that time, Friday Night Lights, the movie had just come out. So like, everyone loved, <laughs> you know, the idea of like high school football, right? So, um, Booby so going into my, my senior year of high school, I developed uh, mononucleosis, right? Of course, high school, you know, illness, viral infection. That yeah, everyone gets. Yeah. That's everyone's um, getting mono then. And uh, yeah, I mean, it went around. I got it. I was no different. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it basically exacerbated my symptoms so severely that um, I was dealing with you know, pulmonary exacerbations all through that summer, you know, the secondary effects of mono, uh, and it was manifesting in so many different ways that like, we felt like we were losing control of my CF to the point when um, uh, training camp started for my senior year of high school football. I mean, I had lost so much weight. I had basically, my muscle mass had declined. Um, my pulmonary function had declined, but I was stubborn. And I was like, I'm still going to play football. Like we're going to do this. This this should work. <laughs> uh, but I mean, after the first or second practice, I mean, it was clear to my coaches, it was clear to my teammates that I wasn't who I once was, you know, right. some eight or nine months prior. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I mean, I immediately lost the starting job, right? Like it just wasn't, it was clear to everyone that it wasn't safe for me to be playing uh, at the level that I had previously been playing at. And, uh, but I was, again, I was stubborn. I wanted to put myself through it and give myself the best chance to compete as I, as I could. Uh, until one day we were doing conditioning where we were running back, we were doing sprints back and forth across the field and we would do push-ups and kind of repeat it over and over and over again. And during one sprint, I actually collapsed on the field. Oh, shit. Uh, I went, I went down hard. You know, it was everyone's worst nightmare, right? Everyone knew that I had CF. Like, the coaches knew, my teammates knew, the trainer knew, the school knew, and, uh, yeah. everyone came running over and I sort of came to, and I remember looking up and, and seeing all of my teammates, my friends, uh, looking as if they had all just basically seen a ghost, right? Everyone was just terrified. And uh, I finally picked myself up. I looked down and I saw that my entire jersey was covered in blood, right? I oh, had a, suffered a massive hemoptysis on the, on the football field. And again, everyone's worst nightmare, right? Yeah. So the trainer's running over, the coach runs over, they finally get to me. And I can realize that I'm, I'm able to breathe, right? Like, it's not like I can't breathe. So they're sort of asking me, you know, what do you want to, like, we can call 911, we can, like, what do you want to do? And I was like, just call my mom. My mom will know what to do. <laughs> And uh, we called my mom. My mom came to school right away. I mean, next thing you know, we were we were headed into New York City for uh, to go see our uh, my pulmonologist to basically figure out what was going on. And uh, it was uh, it was one of the most difficult conversations that I've ever had with uh, a provider because as soon as I walked in, it was clear that the treatment course that we had been pursuing over the last several months wasn't working, uh, and we had to be more aggressive, right? And in doing so, I would have to basically give up my my senior year of high school football. Mm. And I mean, within a matter of minutes, right? Like I went from being like the big dreamer to thinking of myself as a, as, a, as an athlete to all of a sudden um, the dream basically being taken away from me, right? Uh, by oh, by the conversation with, with the doctor and, and also, you know, my CF basically spiraling out of control. Damn. So, I mean, like, how do you recover from that? Like, what was the next steps? Like, you know, because obviously <laughs> the, you're, you're, uh, a, you're a high school kid and like, <laughs> yeah, like you just said, you were just dreaming and then all yeah. of a sudden you know you know i was 17 at the time and it was pretty um it was like a life hit you fast kind of thing um so we, we we came home from the doctor and 
my, you know, my mom called ahead to my dad, who was at back at the house and was like, Gunnar got some bad news. Like maybe you can talk to him or something like that. And uh, I'm laughing because it's a little bit of a funny outcome. But so we, uh, we finally got home and, you know, I kind of sulk into the, the study where my dad was. And my dad is like, you know, I really wanted to, to say something to that. It, you know, I, I haven't, I've resisted. I haven't said it. Um, I, you know, I've, I've, I've not wanted to say it, but the truth is like, you are, you suck at football. Like you are like one of the worst players. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I like, That's the took a one eighty. Like I did not see that coming at all. Um, and now, of course, now I'm like, like, forget my health. Now I'm like personally offended. <laughs> whoa, 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 back up. Whoa, and, back uh, up. And like he went on to say, he's like, you know, you're, you're a much better hockey player. You're a smart kid. Like you're going to go to college. Like these are things that you have to look forward to in life. And, you know, I know that this one thing for you right now feels like it's the biggest thing for you in the entire world. But in fact, it's not. Right? It's, not it's not even your best skill. Great perspective. Uh, you, you need to start thinking about the other things in life that you can excel at and things that are going to mean a lot to you. Uh, later in life. And he was basically insinuating that, you know, give it up, uh, start taking care of your CF. The only way to take care of it is super aggressively what the doctor is per, you know, sort of recommending. And, uh, you know, then go play hockey and then go off to college. And that's basically what we did. The more aggressive treatment course proved successful and uh, sort of abated the, the, the decline that I was experiencing uh, my senior year of high school. Yeah. Wait, so then you went on and you played hockey? Yeah, then I went on to play hockey a couple months later, and then, uh, um, awesome. and then, then, then that dream came to an end, as it does for most high school kids. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. and then I went off to college. That's amazing. I mean, that's you know, it's it's just reframing it, and then and then taking another approach. I really I really appreciate that story. And your dad, obviously, that's that's absolutely hysterical. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I think we want the one thing we really want to talk about with you today is this fertility journey and the fertility aspect mm -hmm. of CF. So for our listeners who don't know, uh, men with CF have something called CBAVD, congenital bilateral absence of the vas deferens. And, you know, the vas deferens, I like to describe it as really the highway that connects the testicle um, to the outside world, which, which sperm travel through. And in CF patients, you know, the highway really isn't there. You know, sperm is actually being made, but it can't leave the testicle. It's basically trapped there. So even though CF patients have sperm, you know, they don't have it in their ejaculate. Uh, it cannot achieve you and you can't achieve a pregnancy through natural conception. And, you know, years ago when CF patients didn't really live through adulthood, like you were talking about before, it never really was an issue or people didn't really think about it. But, you know, now that we know, you know, as CF treatments have improved, we're seeing, you know, CF people, patients and, and people live to normal adult ages, which means they also want to have families. And, you know, one thing that you had done and, excellent job of is really highlighting this fertility struggles, the, your fertility journey that you and your wife went through to have your, your son. And, uh, you know, you even had the, the family planning Friday blogs where you highlighted other people, you had your blog, um, and, and highlighting all these fertility, uh, journeys and people who had CF or who have children who had CF. So I kind of want you to just, you know, tell us mm -hmm. about, what you learned about first off let's say when did you learn about your fertility issues that about cf did you always know about it and you know how did you first approach that situation with your wife or did you even bring it up when you were starting dating like you know what how did how did you approach that yeah i think it's um a lot lots on back here and we'll, we'll kind of get yeah, to yeah. a lot of it as much as we can um, yeah 
so it's, it's actually interesting the way that I, I learned about it. Um, you got to remember, I, I grew up in the era of, you know, I guess we all sort of did the era of social media where, yeah. uh, you know, come the turn of the millennium, like 2005, 2006, 2007, when I was in high school, um, these, these Facebook groups started populating for uh, you know, different disease communities, right? And CF is super unique in the sense that we actually can't be around each other, right? We can be around people without CF, but two people with CF can't be in the same room uh, because we, we have these very serious bacterial infections that we could share with one another, right? right Somebody who right. has healthy lungs isn't going to develop these, these infections. Interesting. Um, so uh, in order to meet other people with CF, uh, in some ways we were, we were encouraged to basically go into these online you know, Facebook groups. Interesting. Um, and the CF community is super vibrant online, active say, you know, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, you know, wherever you can, on Reddit, you know, all these places. Right. Um, and uh, I actually learned that I was infertile through a Facebook group. And I, uh, it is uh, to this day, like one of like the worst learnings I think That's I ever crazy. had. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. You actually be surprised what, what sort of comes across in these, these, uh, these groups, right? Like, I mean, there's, there's really no, there aren't many secrets, right? About, about, yeah. about you know, chronic conditions. Um, and uh, as a, you know, freshman or sophomore year in high school, like it's like, it was terrifying, right? I was like, wait a second, this is, I had not yeah. been told about this. Like this is yeah. weird. And right. you know, it wasn't, you know, there was no easy way to like solve answers for me. Like it, you know, the internet wasn't then what it is today. Um, so I of course started, you know, conflating infertility with being sterile and, and all these different issues. Yeah. Um, and as a high school kid, like on one hand, you're like, okay, well, whatever, I'll deal with that later. But on the other hand, it sort of like was lingering in the background of my head that something was very seriously wrong that uh, no one had told me about. And the, the, the classic, you know, CF care guidelines uh, suggested that it, it, at the time it was brought up, you know, as kids sort of transitioned from pediatric to adult care right. around 18. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I, I had found out a few years prior. So I finally did have a conversation with the provider about it and it still didn't look satisfying. Right. It was like, a quick 10 minute conversation that <laughs> yeah, answered yeah. like no question. I was like awkward high schooler, right? I wasn't going to ask questions. Right, right. Um, For sure. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, when you're 16 or 17 years old, they finally ask your parents to leave the room and you can have the individual right. conversations with the providers and stuff like that. Um, but again, I was awkward high schooler. I didn't want to know anything more than I was being told. And that, was, there, uh, yeah. that was the end of it, you know? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, it really wasn't, I think, until my early 20s that I started to really kind of understand the gravity of it um, and you know, what would, would have to happen, right? I would have to have the sperm extracted for some sort of medical, medical means. And it was like a terrifying like reality, right? Of course, like you don't, no one wants to have uh, you know, a syringe where the, the sun doesn't shine. So like it was just like something in the back of my head that was like a little um, like fear provoking, but also around that time in my life in my early twenties, I mean, I was, I was very sick, right? Like I had basically reached the precipice of end-stage cystic fibrosis. So the family building, family planning wasn't really top of mind. It wasn't a priority. Right. It was more just like survival. Um, and then, of course, that all changed in 2018 when I got into a clinical trial for a drug that's now called Trikasta. Um, and within you know, 12 hours, I knew that I wasn't on the placebo when my CF symptoms started to abate, right? Like amazing. I woke up one day that's a week amazing. later and all of a sudden, like my CF was, it wasn't gone, but it was... Like I could take a deep wow. breath. I felt rested. I didn't, I didn't cough. Like I could go through my day without needing to do my treatments. Like it, it happened so fast. 
uh, that, that suddenly things that had been you know packed packed away in uh, you know my mind that like fertility issues started to resurface as of course as my uh, my now wife and I started to talk more about uh, family planning. So it uh, definitely was a long journey to really kind of understanding what the, the implications of infertility were for, for men with CF. And there weren't really great answers that I was getting along the way. You know, you, you bring up a great thing that, uh, you know, I think Justin and I deal a lot with in, in the fertility world. You know, as, as time goes on, you know, we, we deal with a lot of patients congenital that, you know, infertility is going to be a part of their life and something they're going to have to deal with. And now as there's a more multidisciplinary approach, it's really trying to identify when is that right time, which is still heavily debated. When's that right time to kind of bring into the fold to make, have these discussions? Mm -hmm. Because yeah, you're absolutely correct. When you're 16, 17, you know, it's, it's can be a tough time to discuss some of these kind of heavy issues. Um, And so I don't know, Justin, I mean, that's one of the things that it's, it's, it's hard to figure out when exactly is the right time. But, you know, the good thing is that everyone's working more together as time goes on. Yeah, I also think that it's just one of those things where we're doing better at it. You know, like when you, you know, yeah. we also understand now, like like you said, you know, Gunnar, cystic fibrosis patients, maybe we weren't having that conversation in the early 90s because we didn't have the technologies and everything and the medications for for that family planning to really be discussed as much. But, you know, I think that we're, I, I don't know, you can tell us from your experiences in being active in the community. Is that a conversation that's having being told earlier? Because I think there was probably a, there's a difference be- between being told, Hey, you're, you don't have a vast deference and you're infertile uh, versus saying like, Hey, you, you may not just, you, you know, you don't have these vast deference, but you be, will be able to achieve for uh, a family if you want one. You know, it, it's yeah. a completely different outlook. <clears throat> you know, I think uh, your point about like a multidisciplinary approach is, is important here, right? Because you got to remember that the, the the person that leads the CF care team is a pulmonologist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, like, That's a great I point. mean, that is, that is a very narrow specialty. <laughs> uh, and yes, CF <laughs> you know, CF uh, affects so many parts of the body that you know these pulmonologists are trained, of course, to also understand GI distress, GI symptoms. Um, um, now, yeah. for, uh, um, pancreatic uh, stuff too, and things like that. So, um, of course, you know, referrals are, be, are, are part of the process, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lung doctor that's making, that's calling the shots. So, um, that, that's probably one sort of, you know, if we're looking back retrospectively, like why this has kind of been an issue in the CF world, that that's probably it. Um, for me, like my, um, my perspective on when the right time to have the conversation is and, and how, uh, it has to happen earlier than I think people believe it needs to happen because you don't want people to run into what happened to me. And like that happens commonly, right? right. Um, people, especially as kids become so much more technologically savvy uh, and they get their information primarily from the internet and some medium, right? Like that's like a, that's just a reality that we live in. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, these are conversations that need to be happening early, but they need to be happening delicately and with the, the appropriate support, right? Like you don't want to have a situation where the anesthesiologist comes in and tells you that they're, I'm going to be in a situation that's going to hurt me, right? Like you don't, you don't want that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 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 like, yeah. The appropriate staff members need to, you know, trained staff members need to be there to support patients when they, when they desperately need it. Um, you know, typically parents, after they do get a CF diagnosis for their young kid, will, will learn, like my parents did learn that I was infertile. Um, went right around when I was diagnosed, um, and the conversation was kind of just pushed off until high school. Um, so I mean, part of you know our foundation's efforts, you know, the BEF family efforts that are that's our basically our reproductive health program, 
is to encourage these conversations to happen early. I mean, we're, we're, we plainly know that we're putting these things on the internet, right? And people are saying, yeah. kids follow our Instagram pages. And so that's, that's, you know, we have a platform and we know that we are pushing doctors to have this conversation early and early and earlier um, because we, we feel that it's one that people should have for a few reasons. One being that people with CF are living longer than ever, right? So these are things that people need to prepare about, need to be aware of, and it's something they can shoot for too, right? If you're a kid diagnosed with CF, you, you're dealing with lots of the issues that kids grow up with, uh, but you're dealing now with the support of like breakthrough CF medicine. You know, you have a lot more to live for than you, you know, maybe we did 20, 30 years ago. So yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot of calculus that goes on behind the scenes to really trying to you know, nudge the medical establishment to be a little bit more patient centric, I think. Uh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I mean, we. we it's great that you guys are, you know, put putting together like a platform with like good, you know, good information. You know, it's information that you can rely on. Just kind of touching on that, you know, there there is, you know, Justin talks about it a lot. Just there's all this in, misinformation online, especially with social media now. You can you can find an answers <laughs> for everything, yeah. right? Yeah. And so you know, so from your perspective, you know, have you had any experience or like you know? on just like how to find good medical information online and any potential yeah. concerns. Well, I mean, had. I think everyone, of course, like, you know, again, John, the internet, we've all diagnosed ourselves with lymphoma through WebMD. <laughs> yeah. Lives, right? so, <laughs> Try going uh, to med school, man. Every time yeah. you have a, a like, system, you're diagnosing yeah. yourself with something. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, wow, that symptom is something that I've experienced. Yeah. Um, so no, I told you, I think there's a weird fine balance, right? Like there's uh, I mean, it, you know, I think, credible organizations are really kind of the gold standard here, right? Like yep. one of the reasons, I mean, truly the reason that we've had so much success in CF is because of the, the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation and how they've controlled the care guidelines, the science, the drug development pathways, the clinical trial networks. I mean, lots of things that go into advancing medical care for, for specific indications. So, I, you know, I think, but of course, these organizations, they get big and bulky, right? So things are slow or yeah. you know, they become bureaucratic for different reasons. So, you know, patient advocates are essential, uh, and, and especially for like rare unmet conditions, right? Like that, those are, for sure. are really responsible for advancing the cause of their condition, but um, they need to work with credible organizations. And uh, those are, I think, our conversations that, frankly, that just parents need to have with their kids as they grow up, uh, uh, you know, in the context of, of cystic fibrosis or something else, right? They have to prepare their kids to, to use the internet more safely, appropriately. I mean, those are conversations that like the world is having. Um, yeah, you know, all the time that's now. My, yeah, that's just me. That's just me pontificating. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, no, it's 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 a really important point because you know we talked about it. We literally just recorded an episode that's coming out this week that you know about misinformation, understanding your health, how to go online and do accurate research. And I think obviously, anytime you're you know, especially when you're a community like you said with cystic fibrosis, where you're online is actually where the community is. It's really important. So um, I appreciate your insight there. And now, I will say, like yeah. you know, like community members and patients support each other in a lot of ways, right? And I mean, we very you know clearly uh, learned that as we were going through the IVF process, which I think we're, we were about to talk about anyway. Yeah. And sort of you know, the first part of um, you know, family building for people with CF is to get the partner tested for the CF gene. Yep. Um, and you know, that's, that's the first thing. So CF is a recessive genetic order. So if you remember the Punnett square from ninth grade biology, like it's yeah, the big B, Punnett big B, square. little B, little B, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it basically, it's, you need two recessive copies uh, to, to manifest in, in a positive CF diagnosis. Um, so we had to screen my wife. And 
in fact, getting an answer on how to do that proved to be like one of the most significant challenges that we faced. Really? Right. Because there's, there's about 1200 different mutations that lead to the CFT yes. defect. That's the gene. Yeah. Um, so what you don't want to do when you have a positive CF diagnosis in the family is screen for some of the most common ones, which is basically what people generally do when they hear about a CF screening. Like you need to do a comprehensive analysis, mm -hmm. which is what we had to pursue. Uh, and getting an answer to do that proved to be a super uphill battle. Um, you know, I, at the time I was in business school up in, in New Hampshire. So my, my clinic at, at Dartmouth, they, they couldn't really give us a great answer on how to get her screened. My home clinic where I'm, you know, where I've gotten my care for the last you know, 20 years at Columbia in New York City, they couldn't give us a good answer. So who do we, what do we do? We sourced the question to the CF community on the internet. Uh, and we found people that were knowledgeable. They knew what they were talking about. And they directed us to um, a genetic test, basically a, for, a for-profit genetic testing service. Um, and that's how we had to rule out uh, CF for, uh, you know, uh, rule out the CF, you know, my wife being a CF carrier. So that was really kind of the first uh, step in the process. And it was, uh, it was one where we learned very quickly that, uh, you know, the classic CF care guidelines really kind of need to be updated to allow for, for people with CF to, to, to begin the family building process. That's so interesting. And I think it's important to understand, like you said, and you highlighted the CFTR mutation has so many different variations that can manifest as cystic fibrosis that even, you know, I remember when we were learning about it in school, it was even like, yeah, like you said, the major ones, even if you're negative, there's no guarantee that you actually aren't a carrier now. I, and right. so the, those are another reality, right? It's like, th there's like that little warning, like, just even though this stuff's negative, there, we may not, we don't know all of the yeah. mutations. So uh, it's, right. it's an yeah, interesting it's, it's, thing to deal with. Yeah. I mean, again, we were also doing with it without a genetic counselor, right? We were right. basically consumer health um, uh, for, for better or worse. And, uh, you know, like we're, I feel like I'm a smart guy. My wife, my wife's pretty smart. Like, and we were still kind of like walking through the dark a little bit. Right. So um, it, it was the kind of thing that, uh, you know, showed it that we were in for a long haul where we probably weren't going to be getting super concrete recommendations about really anything. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Well, let's, let's fast forward now over to when you're about to get the sperm extraction. Yeah. So now for our listeners, so when it, uh, for, for cystic fibrosis patients, cause you're missing both vas, uh, the way that we're able to, you, you know, your testicles are still making sperm. So, you know, now you kind of go in there and with the advent of, IVF over the past few years. Now you can pull individual sperm out from uh, the testicle or epididymis and basically use this, um, you know, to to conceive a child. Uh, so, you know, during the sperm extraction, tell us about your experience. Yeah. I mean, me and Justin do this, but you know, tell us <laughs> now, about how that went. Now, so um, I'll say it's actually, it was interesting, right? Um, so, I mean, as I've gotten older, I've become a lot more involved in, you know, care decisions, co-production, joint decision-making between right. and providers. Um, so like anything that I'm going to experience for the first time, I like to understand as much of, about it that I can so that I'm making the best informed decision for the, the best possible outcome. Um, of course, family building with CF is not exactly, I mean, people have been doing it now for about you know, 10, 10 or so years, or maybe even a little longer, but, uh, there's the, the, the information on outcomes is just, it's not good. So, um, we were referred to a urologist, uh, by one of my CF providers, um, and it was during the pandemic that we were doing this. So we did a Zoom meeting, um, 
Yeah. Immediately did not get a good vibe from him. And it was like a situation where I like, okay, I fired the guy immediately. I was like, this guy's not <laughs> doing it. That's, yeah. that's yeah. fine. You know, sometimes you gel, yeah. He described the, um, you know, described the, the, the several different kinds of procedures that you could go through um, from the, the Tezzy to the Tezza to the micro Tezzy yeah. to the, the Pezza, you know, all of these different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sort of described, you know, different relative rates of success and stuff like that. And I got the sense that he was upselling me a little bit on uh, going for something a little bit more invasive than I kind of had imagined that we would we would be doing. Like I sort of had the idea that we were going to be doing a, like a Tezzy situation, right? Which is pretty right. minimally invasive, right? That's just like mm-hmm. some numbing and then... Uh, you make a small like, window know, effect, into effect, the testicle, you take a little sperm out, and that's it. Yeah, a little, yeah. little, little sample, whatever, biopsies, right. effectively. So, but I was, kind of, I felt like I was being upsold on like something more of a, a substantial surgery, and I was like, this isn't right. I don't like this. Um, so we we then actually asked our fertility center, who had treated people with you know, CF families in the past, and if they had anyone, they they recommended for us, and they recommended a urologist that. Uh, uh, was awesome. Like as soon as we met him, completely different vibe. Like he was like, I told him what had happened that that kind of described how I felt like I was being upsold and everything. He's like, no, no, no. All we need to do is the Tezzy. Uh, of course, he had no data to back that up other than his anecdotal <laughs> you know, data of success. Which, by the way, is, is something that's like we're trying to study right with our our family building programs. Right, is we want to make sure that we can give men with CF the appropriate information, you know, information or absolutely you know, uh, Very or important. outcome information so that they can go forward and, and make choices. It's something that really hasn't been studied uh, in cystic fibrosis specifically. So uh, the Tezzy was, was what was chosen. We did some lab work to basically, you know, confirm or have a good sense that there was sperm, viable sperm that I was producing because, you know, there are also other complications that people can run into with CF. Like there might be some sort of idiopathic, fertility associated right. with CF or unassociated with CF mm-hmm. or there's, you know, we take a lifetime of medicines, you know, who knows how all this stuff sort of interacts. So there's, there's different tests that I had to do leading up to the, uh, the actual procedure. And this procedure was something that I had like a deep rooted fear of, as I mentioned earlier. It's <laughs> your nuts, man. It's your nuts. We yeah. Get it. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I was like, and, and, it, and it's kind of a weird thing to talk about with other people, you know, other people <laughs> have like presumably gone through it. Um, yeah. but it was funny. I kept hearing like, the same thing over and over again. It, it was like it's the anticipation, the actual procedure itself is not that bad. So I finally showed up the day of, and I will say the first thing the urologist said, to, it was, you know, like a 7am case or whatever, yeah. um, at the, at the clinic. And the first thing the guy said to me, who was like, actually, you know what, this isn't going to be so bad. It's very easy to numb. And I was like, I would have loved to hear that 10 years ago. Right? Like that maybe you lead with that. You know, like don't leave it to the day of. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> so, so, yeah, but I'm also, by this point, I've also taken like a hundred Valium. You know? <laughs> like I'm like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, like I'm like floating through the clinic. <laughs> so, uh, so we finally get there and uh, – the guy was from the guy happened to be from Maryland, where my dad went to University of Maryland, played football at the University of Maryland. Yep. Uh, so we started talking, like of all things, talk, started talking about college lacrosse. Uh, it's one thing that everyone, every person I've talked to with CF that's gone through this, they always remember the conversation they have with the doctor while while they're going through the procedure. And yeah, I, yeah. He and I talked about college lacrosse of all things, um, and uh, I remember feeling it really wasn't so bad. Like, it was very, uh, very quick, very easy, mostly painless. Um, of course, I walked around like a penguin for, you know, three days afterwards. But uh, and also the two hour car ride home was horrendous. That sucked. Uh, that, that was really <laughs> probably the worst, the worst part of the whole thing. Um, but yeah, it was it was 
it was pretty pretty easy, pretty painless, pretty quick. Uh, the I guess the weirdest part about the whole process is um, when I was you know in recovery, so to speak. They brought out the, the sample that the doctor had extracted, and mm-hmm. he handed it to my wife in like a cooler. Yeah, and we had to drive it from the hospital yeah. <laughs> to the IVF across, center. Yeah. across town to the fertility center. And like, that was like the weirdest part of the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's also kind of, I mean, so I think you really like, I mean, that, that was a really awesome description and, and a really a great perspective. And just to like to highlight a couple of things there, you know, just going back to the procedures, I think, you know, like uh, just to give people perspective. So a tessie is a testicular sperm extraction, and that's kind of just. You know, you can do that while you're in the clinic. You can do it sometimes. Some people don't want to be awake at all, so you can go to the OR for that. Um, the the TESA is a sperm aspiration, uh, where sometimes you can just take a needle and you can suck it up like they stab your testicle, and then they 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 pull out. It's a, some it's tissue. a big needle. It's a big needle, a big but we needle. numb you up. <laughs> um, and then the micro is a, a microscopic. You know, we do it under the surgical microscope. Um, now, you know, uh, obviously there's a lot of decision making. There's shared decision making going to be had some people you know prefer to do the micro some people don't but you know the success rate in general for cystic fibrosis and honestly i would i think i would love to work with you on that data that sounds awesome to put that data out there the success rate just you know i don't know is is usually very very high like for these procedures yeah. and that's why you know like doing it in the clinic getting the small window getting the tissue is 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 you know is a very good option and uh the other thing that i i think is important to highlight here is that, you know, when we're talking about family planning, it's, it's important to understand that when we take the tissue, it can only be used for IVF. You cannot conceive naturally when you have cystic fibrosis, because, you know, obviously, you know, we have to go to the testicle, we find the sperm in the tissue the, the, uh, in the IVF center, and they're, you know, putting that with an egg. So it has to be through IVF. So that's something else that I think couples really need to understand. And actually, that's a good thing because, you know, they can do some genetic testing on the on the eggs and everything as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it was, um, I mean, you're describing exactly how I felt, right? Like I knew that going, and once they had identified that I had, by, or they basically identified a high likelihood that I had viable sperm that follow the lab testing. Right. Um, I felt comfortable with, with the Tezzy, right? Um, you know, I think some people just kind of want to do like a one and done kind of deal, right? And they'll go for the you know, sort of the, the micro Tezzy option um, so that they know that they never have to do it, right? Right. Like the, you know, I think there's, of course, you hear anecdotal situations of people kind of having one sort of outcome versus another. And, you know, people love to talk about bad outcomes on the internet, right? So like, you know, that's something that, oh, for uh, sure. That's, that's their favorite topic. You know, it's like, I mean, go to Yelp, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. You know, it's like everything's either amazing and it was the greatest thing ever, or like it sucked and it was the worst day of their life. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, like, success in this case is like probably a, like a three-star situation, you know? Like, you never <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's, so, it's a great you know, way I of looking at it. It's true. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think for, for, but for us, you know, we, you know, we tried to try to make situations that were both quality of life based, but also highest reasonable chance of success. And that, that's how we thought about it. Yeah. Uh, no, that's great. So, you know, let's, if we take a step back now, you've, you've gone through so much, so much in your life. And thanks so much for sharing a lot of this with us. What advice would you give to couples, you know, with a partner with CF and they're starting a family process? Like, what would you, what would you, yeah. you know, recommend to them? So, I mean, I think the things that we kind of, I guess we haven't really talked about much about the other part of the IVF 
side, right? My wife's side yeah. of it all. Um, and you know, for, for all intents and purposes, uh, the sperm extraction is probably the, the easiest part of everything. Absolutely, uh, you know, 100%. Like everything that you know, everything my wife had to go through was 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 ten x more oh, difficult. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, I think you know, from day one, looking back, we we did we did some we did budgeting because we knew that her part was going to be basically all out of pocket. Uh, and, and we're fortunate that we were able to afford it, and um, we're also fortunate that we had you know relatively quick success, meaning the cost of the entire IVF cycle was was lower for us. Um, uh, so that's something that we, whenever I talk to someone about IVF, that's the first thing that I kind of say is, right, like you need to know that you can afford it, understand what your insurance situation is. If you're working for an employer that has, you know, fertility benefits, awesome, then you know, that becomes less of a stressor. But that's really got to be step one. Um, you know, I think for, for us, for number two, it was, I was, I started having candid conversations with uh, my providers, right, my CF doctors to you basically tell them I'm going to have a certain thing about family building. I want to know how I should expect for my, my care routine to change. What should I think about as far as, um, you know, preserving my health? Because although I'm on Tricaptan, it's been remarkably effective. You know, I still do have CF, right? Right, right. Um, so there, yeah. there are some you know, considerations that need to be made. And uh, we wanted to be able to plan for as much as we could ahead of, the, you know, our, 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 our child arriving into our home. Um, so we had, you know, you know, sort of long conversations about sleep considerations and about, uh, you know, daycare versus home care versus, you know, all of these different things. Um, I feel like today we're still making a lot of micro decisions that just pop up. Um, <laughs> so those are really kind of the, the piece of advice that I would have, right? Talk, you really got to talk with your partner. You got a budget. You got to find someone you're comfortable with, right? I had to find a urologist that I liked. My yep. wife had to find a fertility center that she was comfortable with. Um, mm. And, uh, I, you know, I wanted to make sure my, my CF, providers were on my team i will say the one thing that we did was we didn't tell anyone that we were going through it so at the time my wife and i were engaged it was the pandemic i was living we were living in new hampshire because i was in, I was in business school and we were getting married uh in june of 2021 and i forget exactly how the conversation happened but they're like wouldn't it be cool if we just surprised everyone at our wedding with a pregnancy announcement and uh sure enough the, everything kind of went according to plan and uh, we were, we were able to tell all our friends and family at our wedding that we were pregnant. That's amazing. Uh, That's so awesome. That's so, I mean, if, That's you, awesome. if you, if you like learn back, like, you know, remember back to June, 2021, um, you know, it was right kind of like when the world started opening up, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. So, you know, so, uh, it was kind of a cool, it was a cool thing that, I mean, no one will ever forget it. We certainly won't. Um, but it was a, it was a really cool way to, to sort of have some icing on the cake, but, um, yeah, the, the whole fertility process that we went through was was long. It was still lots of little micro decisions. Um, and the best way to, to I think approach it is to really just kind of talk through as much as about much of it as you can before before it actually starts to happen. It's great points, really, really good points. And I think the the point that especially when we're talking about you know here men's health and and, and guys getting getting the help they need. I think one thing you highlighted here is really you know. <clears throat> That IVF process for your partner is so intense. And we've talk, talked about this on the pod before. Like the least you can do, even as a guy, if you're worried about your fertility, is go talk to a doctor about it. We know that about, you know, even uh, only 30% of guys who are concerned about their fertility will actually talk to a doctor about it. So, you know, they're, they're just not doing it. And when you've seen, even from your perspective, you know, 
what women do, the least you can go do is talk to your talk, talk to your doctor. And you just said yourself, you literally had your nuts cut open and you're like, Oh yeah, this is like nothing compared to what my wife went through for IVF. Yeah, no, it's true. She, I mean, it was, um, you know, there's just a, a, like a slew of medicine medications that are designed to do one thing, right. And to change hormonal balances and, and, you know, a lot of different moving parts. Um, uh, and I mean, as someone, I've, I've taken a lifetime of medicines and I've yeah. never taken anything quite like what she had to go through. So, um, you know, it was definitely, uh, she had the, the, the more challenging part, but, um, I think the determination to have a good outcome, right. Is what leads most families, you know, most families through it. Yeah. That's so, that's, that's so awesome. Yeah. I mean, our, our first child was, uh, was through IVF. I, I didn't get my nuts cut yeah. open. I, I just <laughs> simply just had to ejaculate into a cup. So, but you know, yeah, I, I, I saw the process, you know, it's, uh, you know, all the shots that the, that your partner's going through, it's, it's tough. Yeah. And yeah. And you're just kind of like, <laughs> yeah, I, no, I will say once the, uh, yeah, once the search and rescue mission to my nuts had passed, uh, you know, I think, uh, I felt like my, the hardest part of that was over. Um, I think when you go through the IVF part, like it becomes more emotionally draining on, on yeah. the male partner. Um, but I will say, I felt like my CF prepared me for that um, in some ways, because I, like, I've just been confronted with uncertainty and questions and probabilistic thinking my entire life that um, it just sort of felt like it was very, uh, very natural as we were kind of going through, at least that's how I dealt with it. You know, I think, um, for better or worse, I suppose. <laughs> oh, no, I hear you. Um, now I want to kind of change the question. You know, we talk advice for parents thinking about, you know, uh, family planning. If, if one of the couple, if the, the male has cystic fibrosis, what advice do you have for, you know, coming from someone who has cystic fibrosis? We talked about growing up with it for parents who have a child with cystic fibrosis. What advice do you have, have for them? Yeah, I think in the context of family building, I think it's um, important to have that conversation early, right, with the doctor, with the provider, um, and to basically reaffirm that it's possible. Um, I think for us, it was a little taboo uh, because I found out through the internet, um, yeah. which wasn't which wasn't great. Um, but uh, it's something to just be upfront and, and candid and, 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 and trustworthy about. Um, I think as far as, like, you know, uh, success, you know, that's not something the kids really kind of need to think about, right? That's something that gets discussed closer to the five-yard line. Um, so I think, um, you know, my parents always made sure that I was never alone when I was doing my CF care. And that's really kind of that number one piece of advice that I, that I give to CF parents more broadly. Gotcha. All right. Very good. Now I know you're really, you're, you're really involved in, you know, cystic fibrosis, you know, everything that's going on. Can you kind of just tell our listeners now what, future treatments in CF care are you really most excited about? Just kind of share, yeah. share that with the so, listeners. The Tricaps is a, a small molecule drug, meaning it's a pill that we take, which is like really the best thing about it. Right? <laughs> it's a yeah, absolutely. Super, uh, super easy drug. Um, the unfortunate side of, of, of the medicine is that uh, about 10% of the CF population uh, cannot take Tricapta. Um, and it has to do with some of the nuances of, of what CF looks like. Um, uh, for, for me, it's basically it manifests in dysfunctional protein that leads to this whole issue of, of CF that we've been talking about. Uh, for about 10% of the CF population, they have two combinations of rare mutations, or, you know, you know, certain combination of rare mutations. They actually don't even have a CFTR protein, and they don't develop CFTR protein. Oh, so, okay. Um, so it manifests as cystic fibrosis in all the same ways. There's just no protein for the medicine to, to correct. Right. So these folks, unfortunately, still deal with the very classical 
cystic fibrosis symptoms. Um, and it's really kind of one of the coolest parts of, of CF that there is. So the, the next generation of CF care is really going to be reliant on uh, gene therapies, gene editing, um, and uh, sort of basically uh, turning the body into a protein maker uh, for these folks who don't produce CF care protein uh, with, with, uh, with you know, viral vector gene therapies that will hopefully one day uh, create functional CFTR protein for everyone with CF. Um, so that's kind of like the next horizon, I think. Uh, and we're, you know, I think we're sort of in the dawn of gene therapies, right? I mean, you see, yeah. it feels like every month now, the new one gets approved, which is just awesome yeah. for these single gene, uh, you know, genetic conditions. So CRISPR and all um, this stuff is yeah, coming yeah, out. CF yeah. is, a, is really a wonderful candidate to, to be on mm-hmm. that line. And we're fortunate that there's a number of uh, biopharma companies that are, uh, you know, early preclinical stages of, of gene therapy development. So, um, you know, we've got our fingers crossed and, uh, but we've got a, you know, we've got a number of clinical trials ahead of us that we'll have to watch. And, uh, you know, we need people to, to participate in clinical research, right? They got to get out there and it's the only way to, to move the needle forward. No, it's, it's awesome. And I just want uh, you, you, uh, you and your dad, obviously have done such an excellent job with cystic fi- fibrosis and advocacy. Um, so, you know, I just wanted you to tell us more about the Boomer Esiason Foundation and how our listeners can, you know, support yeah. the foundation and get more involved. Because, it, you know, like I said from the beginning, I've been following you guys. You know, it's you guys, especially in the in the Tri County area, you know, the Tri State area. It, it's just an awesome, awesome foundation. So, just tell us more about it. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> the foundation was founded in '93 when I was born, and. To date, we've raised about $170 million in the fighting against Amazing. which has been uh, really awesome. And we've sort of seen uh, CF care evolve sort of throughout my own life even. Um, and, you know, these days we're, we're really kind of focused on, of course, contributing to research towards a cure and supporting clinical care efforts. You know, we support a number of clinics sort of throughout the tri-state area and throughout the, the country. Um, but also we want to make sure that, uh, you know, CF... Uh, that people with CF are able to have the resources they need as they age now. So uh, this past year, we uh, started our first IVF assistance grant where we will cover That's the awesome. cost of, uh, of people with IVF for people with CF. Uh, we've partnered with a fertility clinic called Kind Body. They have a network of clinics all across the country. They've mm-hmm. been a wonderful partner. Um, you know, our goal, I think, is to expand uh, uh, the network by in- increasing the number of uh, partnerships that we're able to develop around the country. Um, but one thing, you know, we learned, my wife and I learned as we were going through IVF is how expensive it can be. And yeah. You know, my wife and I were so fortunate that we were able to afford it. Um, but, so we want to make sure that other people with CF have the same opportunities that, that we had uh, in family building. And then, you know, beyond that, uh, we also provide financial resources for people with CF that are going through college, through college scholarships. Um, we do advocacy work. We also do uh, provide uh, uh, emergency funding for people that are either victims of you know, catastrophic emergencies or, uh, or natural disasters. So whatever we can do to, to make sure that the people with CF have a little bit less stress in their lives is something that we're, we're really out to, to help with. And you can learn about the foundation at uh, org. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Gunnar, we can't thank you enough for all your, you know, sharing your experiences literally from <laughs> essentially when you were born yeah. all the way up through everything that he's gone through. It's, 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 it's really been an amazing journey. And uh, thank you so much for sharing it because our listeners are going to really benefit from that. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, just also where can, where can our listeners find you? How can they follow you or, and, you know, and, and follow your yeah. journey? And 
your, your so I'm, on, I'm, I'm active on, on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, my website's gunnerathiasen.com. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think my, my, my social media feed these days is mostly filled with, uh, pictures I think of our son. <laughs> uh, so I've, I've made the, the full circle transition, I think from like young adult to now parent, uh, which yeah. has been, uh, which has been fun, uh, which has been really been awesome. I'm a 35 year old young adult. Kevin has two kids, so I'm, uh, I may, I'll get there eventually, but not yeah. yet. <laughs> <laughs> at, least, at least, at least you won't need a search and rescue mission here. Now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> as, as, as far as I know, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, this was great. Thank you so much for coming on. And, uh, thanks to our, to our listeners as always for listening, you know, uh, uh any questions, comments, concerns, you could always reach out to us, uh, you know, our, through our socials, uh, at the man up pod is on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Uh, you can also um, <clears throat> follow Kevin and I, Kevin Chu, MD, and uh, Justin Dubin, MD. Um, listen to our podcast. It's on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon. Uh, subscribe. Give us a review. Five stars. Always, always really appreciated. Uh, for Kevin and I and Gunner, thanks for listening. Until next time, have a good one.